Welcome to the latest episode of the Back of the Day with me, Dave Rivet. Having previously selected an England team one cap wonders, this episode I'll be selecting what I believe is the best England eleven made up of players who never even got one cap. Okay, let's start with a goalkeeper. My first content is John Lukic, who during his career made 732 appearances for Arsenal and Leeds United. Being an Arsenal fan, I saw Lukic on many occasions, the most famous being the 1989 title-decided match at Anfield, where Arsenal got the 2-0 win they needed to snatch the title from Liverpool. He was a good keeper. He did play for England at youth and under-21 level, and also, also played 45 minutes for an Eng- in an England B match. My second contender is Steve Agrizovich, who kept goal for 16 years at Coventry City. He played for Coventry in their finest hour when they beat favourites Tottenham Hotspur 3-2 in the 1987 FA Cup final, one of the most entertaining cup finals. A fine keeper. Other fine keepers were Nottingham Forest Peter Grummet, the very underrated John Jackson of Crystal Palace, and who will forever forget Jim Montgomery performing miracles in goal for Sunderland in the 1973 FA Cup final. But the goalkeeper in my team is Tony Coton who during a 20-year career played for Birmingham City, Watford and Manchester City. An excellent keeper who was called up by England manager Graham Taylor between 1991 and 1993, but never took to the field. He did play the second half of an England B match in February 1992, keeping a clean sheet in a 3-0 victory. Now the centre-backs. And my first choice, I think, is generally considered the best ever player not to be capped by England, Steve Bruce. He played for Gillingham and Norwich City, but it was when he signed for Manchester United in 1987 that his career really took off. In the next nine years, he had won three Premier Leagues, three FA Cups, a League Cup and a European Cup Winners' Cup. A rock-solid defender, dangerous when going upfield, over 100 career goals and a great leader. How he didn't get a cap is an absolute mystery. His partner at centre-back is the forgotten man of football. In the late 60s and early 70s, there seemed to be a lot of strong, silent defenders who, without fuss, went about their business week by week. For example, Alan Oakes of Manchester City, Philip Bill at Tottenham Hotspur, and Chelsea's Marvin Hinton. My selection is just like these three, but I think he was a better player. It is Peter Simpson of Arsenal. Simpson's career seemed to be going nowhere, making just 22 appearances in three seasons, playing in every position on the park. When Bertie Mee took over as Arsenal manager in 1966, he saw Simpson's potential and he became a mainstay in the Arsenal defence for the best part of 10 years. He formed a great partnership with skipper Frank McClintock. He was a major player in the 71 Arsenal double season. At right back, I considered Aaron Wambazaka, who for Crystal Palace and Manchester United has been an, has been an excellent defender, maybe not the best at going forward. His career seems to have stalled recently. Instead, I went for West Ham legend Billy Bonds. Following his £50,000 transfer from Charlton Athletic in 1967, he played 799 first-team matches over the next 21 years for the Hammers. Having started his career right back, he switched to midfield with great effect, his great stamina getting him from box to box with no trouble, and he could even fill in at centre-back. I don't think he had any trouble reverting to right back. Just missing out of left-back is Alan Wright, whose best years were with Aston Villa from 95 to 2003. Only 5 foot 4 inches tall, Wright was an adventurous fullback who twice played for the England under-21 side. 
The left-back in my team is Chelsea's legendary skipper, Ron Chopper Harris. Before joining Brentford in 1980, Harris had made 795 appearances for the Blues. His best position was probably centre-back, but he could be just as effective at full-back, as he demonstrated in the 1970 FA Cup final replay against Leeds United at Old Trafford. Eddie Gray and the Tutus were at Wembley had given David Webb a torrid time, but in the replay at Old Trafford, barely got a kick when Chelsea manager switched Harris to right back. Even England's greatest ever goalscorer, Jimmy Greaves, very rarely scored when up against him. The chopper day went against him. I think, sure, he was as hard as nails, but he could also play a bit, a welcome addition to the side. I didn't have many really good fullbacks to choose from for this team, but I've got an abundance of really good midfielders to choose from. Before announcing my midfield four, I'll go through some of the contenders who didn't quite make the eleven. My first contender played 11 times for the under-21s and once each for a Football League 11 and England B-side. It is Paul Davis. In his 16 years at Arsenal, he played in 447 league games and scored 37 goals. That total of 37 goals is probably the main reason he never made it into the England side. Being an Arsenal fan, I saw a lot of him. He was very skillful but should have scored a lot more goals. He played in a successful, successful side and won two league titles but he always came up a bit short. I'm going to go back a long way to my next midfielder, the captain of the great Burnley team of the early 1960s, Jimmy Adamson. Jimmy was a stylish right half who spent all his career at Turf Moor up until his retirement in 1964. He played 426 league games and rather surprisingly only scored 17 goals. When you consider Burnley scored 102 league goals in 1960-61 alone. More up to date is my next midfielder, West Ham's Mark Noble, another one-club man. He played 20 times for the under-21 side but never took the field for a full cap. Maybe a lack of pace might have held him back. Anyhow, he did play 551st team matches for the Hammers and was a reliable penalty kick-taker, a good player. Going back decades again, it's Tottenham's double-winning team's winger, right-winger Terry Dyson. He played a total of 209 times for Spurs up until 1965 and scored 55 goals. He was a regular member of the 60-61 double winning team and scored in the 2-0 win over Leicester in that season in the cup final. His finest hour came in the 62-63 European Cup Winners Cup final when he scored twice in a crushing 5-1 victory against Atletico Madrid in Rotterdam, becoming the first British club to win a European tournament. Another fine player is Kevin Nolan, who helped Bolton Wanderers achieve their best league positions for decades, scoring some important goals on the way. He then had three years at Newcastle before joining West Ham in 2011. He played 607 first-team games in all, scoring 111 goals. Good player. Two really skillful players up next. First, Mickey Hazard, the player who should have achieved so much more. He burst into the Tottenham team in 1980. He was a member of the 1982 FA Cup winning side and played a major role in the 1984 UEFA Cup final success against Anderlecht of Belgium. But Hazard only played 91 league games for Spurs in five years and then was transferred to Chelsea where he would only play 81 league games before joining Swindon Town. I just remember him as a very skillful, clever player. Just like the next player up, Jimmy Bullard. I don't think anyone enjoyed playing football as much as he did. His best time as a player was probably at Wigan Athletic, helping them secure promotions to the Premier League in 2005. He suffered a few injuries when he joined Fulham, one of football's entertainers. 
Alan Gowling was a player who could play midfield or up front. He made his debut scoring against Stoke City in the 67-68 season. His fine career ended in 1983 and after spells at Manchester United, Huddersfield Town, Newcastle United, Preston North End and Bolton Wanderers played in 480 league matches scoring 129 goals. Clive Walker was an old-fashioned goal-scoring winger with pace. I always thought he was similar to Arjun Robben, who, like Walker, would appear on the left wing for Chelsea. A long career, he was still playing for non-league Cheltenham Town in 1999 when he was 42 years old. My final contender for a midfield place could play anywhere on the park, Jeff Strong. He started his career at Arsenal in 1960. The next four years as a striker was scored 69 league goals in 125 games. Fantastic record. He established a legal, a, not legal, a lethal attacking partnership with Joe Baker. In 63-64, he and Baker together scored 62 goals. Incredibly, at the start of the following season, he was allowed to leave for Liverpool for £40,000. As with Ray Kennedy years later, Liverpool boss Bill Shankly did not use Strong as a front man, instead in midfield and fullback. He had six successful seasons at Anfield before finishing his career at Coventry City. A really good footballer. So on to the four players to make it into my team. My first midfielder is Liverpool's Jimmy Case. Case played and scored in his only appearance for the England Under-23 team. He never earned a full cap despite being a major player in the Liverpool team that won four league titles, three European Cups and the UEFA Cup. A hard-working player with a fine shot, he is an obvious choice for this team. Alongside him is Everton's Howard Kendall. Kendall rose to fame in 1964 while playing for Preston North End, becoming the youngest player to appear in FA Cup final since 1879. Three years later, he would move to Goodison Park to form what the Evertonians called the Holy Trinity, with World Cup winner Alan Ball and Colin Harvey. These were Kendall's peak years as a player. Before joining Birmingham City in 1974, he played 270 games for the Toffees, scoring 30 goals. He would return to have success as club manager in 1981. My next midfielder is Dennis Mortimer, who captained Aston Villa to European Cup victory in 1982. He started his career in 1969 with Coventry City, where he played more than 213 matches. His excellent displays convinced Aston Villa to sign him on Christmas Eve 1975 for £175,000. It proved to be a bargain. He captained Villa to the 80-81 league championship, the next season's European Cup. A fine player, industrious and an excellent maker of chances, he played six times for the under-23s and three times for an England B-side. In ten years he made 406 appearances for Villa, scoring 36 goals. The next midfielder offering width on the left-hand side is George Armstrong, who I saw hundreds of times playing for Arsenal between 61 and 77. He never gave less than 100%, was a great crosser of the ball, one of the best. Even Bobby Charlton said he deserved a cap. He played in every match in the 1970-71 double-winning season, and it was estimated George had a hand in more than half the goals scored that season. He made 621 appearances for Arsenal, scoring 68 goals. Selecting the second front man caused me great hardship, but the first was always going to be in my team. It's Jimmy Greenoff. He struggled to get a game at his first club, Leeds United. No surprise. 
in his time at the club as a young player, between 63 and 68, they were one of the best teams, definitely the most consistent team in the land. He did manage 136 first-team appearances, scoring 36 goals. He then had one season at Birmingham City before eight successful seasons at Stoke City. For Stoke, this was a golden period that included a 2-1 League Cup victory over fancied Chelsea. Jimmy scored 103 goals in 346 matches for Stoke and was unlucky not to get an England call-up. Manchester United bought Jimmy Green off for £120,000 in November 1976. There, he played a part in making Tommy Doherty's United team the most exciting team in the country. He played a major part in their FA Cup success in 1977. Jimmy Greenoff was a very, very fine player. I consider quite a few players to play alongside Greenoff. The first one is currently playing in the Premier League, Ivan Tony of Brentford. The main reason I've not included him in is I believe it's only a matter of time before he does get a call-up. He has gone from strength to strength since he has been in the Premier League, now at 26 years old, the time is right for him to play for England. My next contender is showman Duncan McKenzie, a player who is obviously very skillful but not achieved what he should have in the game. In fact, his off-the-field achievements are more known than what he achieved on the pitch, his ability to jump over a mini and throw a golf ball the length of a football pitch. The next one is Chris Armstrong. He was a very athletic player with an eye for goal. His best years were at Crystal Palace and Tottenham Hotspur. In his career, from 89 to 2005, he made 479 appearances and scored 157 goals. Not too shabby. My final contender, just missing out, is Kevin Campbell. I saw a lot of him, that being an Arsenal fan. I was quite surprised when going through his record that he made 228 appearances for the club and scored 59 goals. He was a big, powerful player, full of running, but I have to say, he was always in the shadow of Paul Merson and Alan Smith, and then later Ian Wright. He eventually left the club in 1995. He joined Nottingham Forest, but it was at Everton that he finally found a club that appreciated him. Playing alongside Jimmy Greenoff in my team will be Brian Pop Robson. Robson burst on the scene at Newcastle United, where he scored 82 goals in 206 appearances. He then joined West Ham United and in 72-73 was the first division's top goal scorer with 28 goals. He scored again for Sunderland where he had two spells and was just as successful in a second spell at West Ham. In total he made 674 league appearances scoring 265 goals. Even though not all of his goals are in the top flight, it's a great achievement. So the team is in goal Tony Coton. Back four, Billy Bonds, Steve Bruce, Peter Simpson, Ron Harris. Midfield, Dennis Mortimer, Howard Kendall, Jimmy Case, George Armstrong. And up front, Jimmy Greenoff and Pop Robson. I think it's a good side. Top keeper, rock solid defence, creativity and work rate in midfield and two very clever good strikers. Maybe lacking a bit of height, but you can't have everything. Okay, if you think I've left someone obvious out of this side, let me know on the Back in the Day page on Facebook. Till the next time, catch you later.